Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today is part two of the Why You Should Put an Early Miata on Your Bucket List Now podcast series. In today's episode, I'll tell you about the early Miatas I've owned, get into what I like about them, and tell you some of the key things you should look for and what to avoid when searching for an early Miata. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So my first Miata was a 1992, it was an NA6. So I bought that car in 1995, a few years after the whole introductory madness prices had sort of normalized and you could I think this one was just out of warranty when I bought it so I got a a reasonable deal on it at the time I was happy with that it was what they call an A package car had air conditioning it had AM FM stereo it had a hard top uh, five speed manual transmission it did come with the limited slip differential the viscous limited slip I love that car again it was a stock car when I purchased it and I owned it for six years And one of the interesting kind of transitions I did with this car was, while it started stock, I started to follow the Miata Club of America. They had a project car. The Miata Club of America doesn't exist anymore, but at the time, we'll just call it the MCA for short. At the time, the MCA had a project car that they were kind of tweaking, adding suspension and performance parts to and that sort of thing. And rather than try and reinvent the wheel, I just kind of thought, okay, I'm just going to do what they're doing because that was relatively easy. So I followed that. I did the suspension upgrades that they did. They added Coney shocks. You could adjust the perch setting. So I kept the stock springs, but the perch setting being lower, lowered the car a little bit. I had, uh, I think it was Jackson Racing sway bars. I did braided steel brake lines, upgraded brake pads. But the big change was a supercharger. So I eventually put a Jackson Racing supercharger on this car. And that was kind of a game changer. I mean, it took the car from a car that could do zero to 60 in nine seconds-ish, maybe a little bit quicker, to a car that could do it in under seven seconds. It was about a 40, 35 to 40% increase in power, both horsepower and torque. So a really nice addition to the car. And it was very factory sort of look and feel. I mean, I didn't really feel like I destroyed the car. In fact, it, it made the car better. It was a lot of fun to drive. But what was interesting about that was towards the end of the ownership of that car in in right around 2000, 2001, I went out with a drive with a friend of mine and he happened to have a 93 red Miata. It was completely stock. And we went out on a long drive and we kept trading cars back and forth. I'd drive his for a little bit then he'd drive mine, you know, that sort of thing. So over the course of a few hours, we traded back and forth. And the interesting thing was Going downhill on some of these windy roads and mountain roads that we were driving on, you know, I could kind of keep up with the supercharged car, with my car. Going uphill, no. The supercharged car just walked away. Just gone. See ya. But here's the funny thing. I'm driving his car at a lower speed, lower handling limits. Uh, He had the stock tires. I had upgraded performance tires and 15-inch wheels, uh, Panasport wheels. I was still having a blast. I mean, a stock Miata, I mean, it really struck me. It's like a stock Miata is fun. The early Miata, in in every generation, really, but the early Miata in stock condition is a blast. Now, you may not be able to share it with somebody who's, you know, if you're driving with a friend who's got a Corvette or something, they're going to be long gone. They're going to take off. But you can drive that car 
and just have a ball. You're back, you know, two miles back, but you're still sliding nice and cleanly around the corner that, that they did five minutes earlier. That was a real eye-opener for me. And I really kind of, I don't want to say I missed having a stock car, but I realized that by making all the changes that I did to my car, I'd really made it into a more sort of serious type of car. It was kind of a different car, really. So looking back at that moment, it was clear that, yes, while you can modify a Miata to make it faster, you can drop in an LS3 V8 from a Corvette and, and make them fly, right? You can do that. But a stock Miata is fun. And it continues to be fun to this day. So you might want to consider that rather than going out and finding one that's modified or modifying one yourself, you might want to stick with its stock for a while. Just drive it. Just enjoy it. If it needs some updating to get it back to its original stock condition, you might want to do that. But just enjoy the car because they are fun in their stock condition. Which brings me to my current Miata, which I've owned for 10 years. This is a 1994 Laguna Blue R-Package Miata, as I mentioned earlier. This car doesn't have air conditioning. It started out, again, as a base model Miata. It doesn't even have a leather-wrapped steering wheel. It's got the plastic steering wheel. So the reason I bought this car, it sort of popped up, and I I wasn't looking for a Miata, but I, I saw this thing, and I thought, wait a minute. It was advertised as an M edition, 1994M. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's not an M. That's, that's Laguna Blue. And it looks like an R-Package car. And I knew that they were somewhat rare, but I didn't really know how rare. But Laguna Blue was my favorite color. So I called the guy and made arrangements to go out and look at it. I was the first person to call. The car had been posted up not even an hour when I saw it. So got lucky with that. I'm driving out to his house, and he calls me, and he says, Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, car's been sold. I'm like, what? I just, no, wait a minute. I just called you, and... I'm halfway to your house, and I'm the first person. How how could it possibly be sold? I told you I'm coming out. He's like, yeah, some guy from California called me and said he'd give me $5,000 for it. He was asking $4,000. He'd give me $5,000 for it. And so, you know, another $1,000, I'm taking it. And I'm like, oh, God, okay. So I pull over, and I said, okay, do me a favor. Write my number down, put it on a piece of paper, and then... In a week or two, when this deal falls through, you call me back. And he's like, do you think my deal's going to fall through? I said, I don't know. I've, but I've seen these long-distance deals, and I've seen them fall apart. So please just, you know, rather than reposting the car, I was the first person coming out. You know, I'm already halfway there. I'm almost at your house, actually. <laughs> just do me the favor of calling me first so you don't repost the car. Okay. Well, so two weeks later, I get a phone call. Boom, it's the guy. And apparently, yeah, something went wrong with the deal. I don't know exactly. I mean, I, I guess I kind of do. But it, it was just like, okay. So I went out, looked at the car. I took it out for a, a long drive. I probably drove it 45 minutes. And got it good and hot. Went up and down through the gears, sliding around corners, doing all that stuff. And I thought, there is nothing wrong with this car. This is a great car. It needed a couple of minor things, but nothing major. So... I offered him 3800 He took it, and I had a Miata. Boom. Our package. Laguna Blue. One of 145 ever made. And I've had that car since uh, December of 2012, so almost almost 10 years. Anyway, and I, and I couldn't be happier. I 
wanted an R package car because Miatas are meant to be a lightweight sports car. And in the higher horsepower NA8 generation of the NA cars, this is the lightest, technically the lightest, best performing, best handling Miata that you could get at the time just off the factory showroom floor. And the fact that it came in the color that I wanted was a bonus. So that was great. And I have to say, it's really been a lovely car. It's a lot of fun. Now, a lot of people don't really know what it is. They don't know that it's special. I mean, they like the blue color. They're like, oh, that's a nice that's a nice color on a Miata. Did you paint that yourself? I'm like, no, no, it's a Miata factory color. But <laughs> the car handles so well. Is it perfect? No. It's a bit rough over on a rough road. It can, you know, get a little jarring sometimes. Sometimes I wish it was a little bit softer suspension. But then I think to myself, well, why did I buy it? Well, I bought it for what it does. It's a great car. And I, again, I highly recommend that if you get a Miata, you buy one that's stock. You keep it that way, at least for a few years. If you have like some dream of modifying a car, keep it that way for a year or two. Drive it like that. And then decide after that period of time whether or not you want to modify it. You might find that you like it just the way it is because it gives you that experience that Mazda intended. It's this thing that Mazda calls Jinba Itai in Japanese. It literally means rider and horse as one body. That's the translation. But it's sort of like the connection between the rider and the horse when they're doing mounted archery. It's called Yabusame. It's where they ride along on a horse. They're not actually holding the horse. The horse is just going. And then they take out their bow and arrow and then draw down and fire on a target. As they're going straight down a runway, they hit like several targets to one side. It's an interesting cultural sport. They still do it today. But what they were trying to convey is that the car becomes like one with the driver. And the Miata really does that. Is it perfect? No. A Lotus Elise would probably do that better. I'm sure a BAC Mana would do that better. A McLaren F1, that would do it better. But a Miata is an affordable option to those cars, and you really do become connected to the car. It really is an extension of yourself. Okay, so let's talk about the pros and cons of the 1.6 liter cars versus the 1.8 liter cars. Okay, what do I think? Honestly, I could have either one. They're both great cars, and I find the 1.6 liter motor to be a little bit more free revving, almost like it's got a lighter flywheel. But the 1.8 liter cars, they're a little bit torquier, and, I, and really the difference is very small. It's not huge. You only notice it kind of driving them back to back. If you drive them days apart, it's sort of like, oh, they're both kind of the same. I would say, for me personally, I would rather have the NA8, the 1.8 liter cars. I think a little bit more horsepower never hurts. Since I've owned a 92 and did the supercharger thing, and I've owned this 94 Laguna Blue R package, or currently own it, the next car I would get, what would really personally turn me on, would be the 1993 limited edition, the LE. This is the black with red interior car that I mentioned earlier. I love those. It's just a, it's a cool-looking car. It's got a great option package. I'd want to get one with a hard top. Probably get it with ABS. I don't like cruise control, so if, if it had it, I'd probably take it off because it just kind of clogs up the whole engine compartment. But that's what I would get. 
After that, I would probably go with a 1997 M edition in Marina Green Mica. I really like that car. I like the way it looks. And then beyond that, I don't know, maybe another M edition, just something with limited slip differential. And I try to get one without power steering. Now, some people take off their power steering pump, <laughs> but if you want to make it without power steering, you really have to get the non-powered rack. There is a difference. So don't just unhook your power steering and, you know, or take the belt off. That's not how it works. Okay. So that's what I would buy. Um, in terms of for you, here's what I would say. You want to set yourself up for success with any sort of purchase, especially we're talking about a car that's 30 years old, maybe older. Here's the thing. It's kind of like real estate. You know, the old adage, it's location, location, location. Well, with a car like this, with an older car, with any car, really, it's condition, condition, condition. Color, year, all that kind of stuff is secondary to condition. You want to make sure the car is in good condition. So how do you do that? Well, start with minimal owners, all right? Preferably one or two. The longer someone owns a car, typically the better they take care of it because they look at themselves as a caretaker, not as just somebody who's wearing out a depreciating asset. You don't take good care of your washer and dryer. You probably don't beat on it, but you just use it and you know at some point it's going to be worth nothing and you're going to give it to goodwill or you'll take it to the dump. Cars are different and long-term ownership makes a difference. Next, I'd say get one that's been stored indoors. Storing any car outside is bad, but storing a convertible outside is especially bad. You want one that's been stored indoors, minimally under a carport, but really you want a car that's been kept inside. It's just going to be in much better condition. Cars that are stored in a sunny place, the desert southwest, you don't have the cracked plastic and faded seats. For cars that are from rainy places like the Pacific Northwest, you don't have a bunch of leaves and junk that build up in places where they shouldn't. Places where they salt the roads, uh, well, you know, avoid that completely. So a car that's been stored in, indoors is important. Next up, you want to get something with relatively low miles. Now, what do I mean by that? Sure, it'd be nice to get a 5,000-mile Miata, a 10,000-mile Miata, but those are going to be worth a lot of money. People who are collectors are going to collect something like that. Relatively low miles on a 30-year-old car might be 100,000 miles. And remember, Cars like this, whether it's the 1.6 or the 1.8 liter, they really don't have any Achilles heel. There's really nothing that goes wrong with them. You need to change the timing belt. You got to stay on top of regular maintenance, changing the spark plugs and changing the, uh, the plug wires, things like that. You might have an occasional fuel injector that goes bad. I mean, things like that. But that's just stuff that wears out over time. The motor itself, the 1.8 and the 1.6, are very reliable engines, very long-lived if you take care of them. 250,000 miles, 300,000 miles wouldn't be unusual. Now, people destroy them before that, but, you know, if you don't put oil in it, yeah, that's a problem, right? Or if you're always banging up against redline every single time you go out with, you know, a quart low as you're going around a corner and you starve the valves and the cams for oil, you know, you can ruin a car that way. But I'm talking about people who've taken care of the car. They can go for a long, long time. So 80,000 miles, 90,000 miles, that's not a bad thing. You also want to find a car that has no accidents, okay? This is much more important than whether it's a 1.6 or 1.8 liter. A car that hasn't been in an accident is a great car. Now, you might have a little bit of a fender bender or something like that, but 
no major accidents. You don't want to have a car that's had the quarter panels cut off or it's had the whole front end punched in or something. Don't buy that. Just walk away. Also, buy a stock example. Modifications can be a nightmare. Unless you know who did them and how well they were done, you got to look at those mods with a real jaundice eye. You have to say to yourself, do I really want this? Now, some stuff that's bolt-on, like header and catback exhaust, yeah, that's going to be fine. That's not a big deal. It'd be especially great if they still had the stock exhaust, so you could go back to that if you wanted to. But outside of like the easy bolt-on stuff, there are some changes people make that are permanent, and you don't want them. You know, if somebody's cut off the fenders and they've put on plastic fender flares, forget it. Walk away. Or if they've rolled the fenders, why are you rolling the fenders on a Miata? I mean, unless that car's got a V8 in it, you don't need more tire on the ground. (laughs) You'd be better off going to a racing school or just getting some decent tires. You don't have to put like super wide tires on these cars. Okay. Um, Like I said, colors and features are secondary. Uh, Still important. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I would say consider any of the special package cars. So the special edition, the limited edition in the 1.6 liter cars, uh, the M edition cars, Uh, The R package, I would say, consider it if you are really fancying yourself as a driver, somebody who might autocross the car or might like to drive it a little bit more aggressively than others. Because on a long trip on some roads, it's going to be a much less comfortable suspension package. And I would say that the Bilstein shocks, while they they do work great to improve the performance of the car, they are kind of harsh. Um, I'll link to a, an article that actually shows it's from Car and Driver. And they tested the 1994 M Edition car and the 1994 R Package car. And you can see the difference. There is a performance difference. But they do make the comment that, you know, think long and hard before you buy the R Package because it's a little bit more aggressive and you might not like it. Okay. Next, get a limited slip differential. And that's going to include. Pretty much all the special edition, M edition cars, certainly the R package car, they only came that way. Again, check with Mazda. Call that 800 number that I'm going to post up. Using the VIN number, you can check to see if the car that you're looking at actually has a limited slip differential. But get one if you can. It's a good thing to have. One thing that people forget about, if it has a hard top, (laughs) be sure to remove the top and check the soft top, right? I mean, think about it. You know, people go, oh, yeah, and the soft top works great. And the hard top's in place. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to take it off because it's a hassle. But you know what? <laughs> take it off and put it up and check it because it could have a hole in it. The The frame could be broken. Uh, they could be missing some parts. I mean, who knows? But check everything. So make sure, you know, it's nice that it has a hard top, but make sure that the soft top is functional too. And the only way to do that is to remove the hard top. It'll also allow you to see how the hard top comes off. And you'll, you'll get a sense of, oh, i got to store this thing somewhere. Okay, I'll have to figure that out. Next, get one that has had recent major services. Things like timing belt, water pump. Uh, that's a combined service. Um, a car that's had brakes replaced. A car that's had a clutch replaced. Tires, that's a relatively large cost or can be. Fluid changes, eh, you know, I expect people to change their oil. It's not that big of a deal. If somebody's recently changed the oil in the transmission or the differential, I guess that's a good thing. Although I like to put in my own oil and make sure it's been done properly. 
I have run Redline oil for years in my Miatas. I just recently changed out the fluid in the transmission, and I went with a Ford synthetic oil that was recommended on Miata.net. A lot of people raved about it, like, oh, it's amazing, game changer. I put it in, and it's like, eh, it felt the same as the Redline stuff. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm not disappointed, but it was more expensive. So if I drive it long enough to do it again, I won't put that in. I'll probably just go back to Redline. These cars also tend to wear out the radiator. It turns green on top, and then the plastic top and bottom of the tank will crack. If you see a green radiator, it's time for a new one. They're not expensive. Just, you know, put one in, flush the coolant, do that sort of thing. Uh, what else? Outside of any model that has the Bilstein shocks, and that would be the R package cars and that, that limited edition black with red car from 93, Every other car, the shocks that come with the Miata, well, they're kind of worn out by 30,000, 40,000 miles. They get a little bit bouncy. Now, most cars will have had their shocks replaced, but if they haven't, uh, look for that. You'll, that's something you'll need to do. Again, back to the difference between the 1.6 and the 1.8, I would really come down to condition. And then next, I would come down to what color and what package do you like. I really wouldn't look at it from the standpoint of, you know, the 1.6 is worse or better than the 1.8. The only thing that I would say, well, actually, there's two things. The only thing that I would say that might compel me to do the 1.8 is the extra safety features that came with the 1.8 cars. That includes the airbag on the passenger side. If you have a passenger in the car, unless it's a little kid, you're going to want that airbag. Now, remember, you can't turn that bag off. Later cars, you could actually put the key in and turn it and you could deactivate the airbag. But with a 94 through 97 car, you just have an airbag. You can't turn it on or off. So just keep that in mind. But that's a that safety thing is important. The little additional bracing behind the seat for the side impact protection never hurts to have it. I don't think of a Miata as like, oh, super safe car or anything. Uh, I don't think of it as an unsafe car. It's a small car. So kinetically, it's going to lose the transfer of energy between itself and, say, a 6,000-pound SUV, okay? Uh, the good news is Miatas handle well, and if you're paying attention, maybe you can just avoid it, right? <laughs> That's what I would try to do. The other thing to look out for is on the early cars, the NA6, it was in 1990, partway through 91, those had what's known as a short nose crankshaft. It was basically just a shorter bolt that bolted on the lower crankshaft pulley. This is the pulley that runs the belt that runs like the alternator and the air conditioning compressor, if you have it, and the power steering pump. Those early cars had a short nose crankshaft and a shorter bolt that held that on. If the timing belt has been replaced properly and that bolt has been torqued in place correctly and the little woodruff key, which is a little piece of metal that holds the pulley in place when you put the bolt on, if all of that was assembled correctly and done correctly, you'll be fine, okay? But if somebody did that incorrectly, it actually can ruin the motor and resulting in the car needing a new crankshaft um, or just, frankly, needing a new engine. Now, how big of a deal is this? Eh, I don't know. Uh, people are still buying early cars, and I don't think it's as big a deal as some people make it out to be. Although I will link to an article by, I think his name is Lance Shaw. It's from Miata.net, and he outlines what the issue is. So then you can, you know, 
ask yourself, do you want to take that chance? Uh, for my money, I'd probably just avoid the ninety, the first half of 91. He actually outlines what VIN numbers are affected. So something to keep in mind. I would, I would look at that. And then a couple other things to avoid on the cars. Number one, if it has a rebuilt title, just walk away. Okay? <laughs> Don't buy a Miata with a rebuilt title. Unless you know the car and you know why it has a rebuilt title and what, what the issue was. Um, and a rebuilt might be a, a branded title as well, uh, like an insurance buyout. Now, if a car has been stolen and then found later, wasn't damaged, the insurance company may have branded the title. However, you know, the car could still be fine, but you would have to know that. And you're probably not going to know what's really going on with that car unless you know the owner and you know the situation. So rebuild title, walk away. Also, don't buy a Miata that needs a ton of work. And when I say a ton of work, I mean like major stuff. Because while there are less Miatas around of the early variety, there's still a lot of them. And the next train passes in 10 minutes. You'll find another car in a week or a few days or tomorrow or, you know, turn the page. Ooh, there's another one. You don't have to buy somebody's problem. You don't have to bail somebody out just because they've got an issue. And I saw one car. It was a 90. I think it was a 90 because it had the short nose crank issue. They were asking $4,500 for the car. It had a ripped top. It had ripped seats. It had a kind of a caved in left rear quarter panel, which when I looked at it, I'm like, well, you're going to have to cut that quarter panel out and replace it. It was a mess. The front right fender and right side of the car were missing like entire sheets of paint. This was a white car. And the guy was still asking $4,500 for it. Oh, and the and the capper was, he mentioned, oh yeah, you'll have to bring a tow truck because it's got that problem with the crankshaft. It was a short nose crankshaft. Um, <laughs> and he said, the car runs, but the crankshaft pulley is wobbling. It, the car's dead. 4500 bucks. It's not worth buying. It's not worth zero. So walk away. Okay. And then the final, if it's rusty, walk away. <laughs> you don't want a rusty Miata. I mean, it's a lightweight sports car. It's a lightweight car. The rust you see is just a fraction of the rust that's there. So why would you want to buy that car? Again, the next train passes in 10 minutes. Just walk away. Years from now, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, it might be worth it to buy a rusty Miata and bring it back to life. But uh, most people's skills are not up to the skill set required to cut out rotten metal and weld in new. I would just say avoid it altogether. It's not going to be worth it. When you look at the prices of Miatas, if you go to bringatrailer.com, they have a page that shows what Miatas from their recent auctions have been selling for. They put like dots on a chart and there's a whole bunch of dots between $10,000 and $20,000. I'm not saying you're going to be paying $20,000. I'm not saying you're going to be paying $10,000. i am just saying that's what the majority of cars are. And you can easily, like that white car I was telling you about, the motor might run you several thousand dollars, paint a uh, couple thousand, bodywork a uh, thousand. You could you could be into the car for fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. Oh, and by the way, that car had a hundred and ninety thousand miles on it. Do you want to put ten or fifteen grand into an old Miata plus on top of the four thousand or five thousand you spent, and then have a car with a hundred and ninety thousand miles with a different motor? God no, don't do it. Just walk away. Okay, I'm starting to sound like your mom. Sorry. <laughs> okay, and now that I've mentioned pricing, let's kind of dig into that a little bit. 
A few years ago, and I'm talking pre-pandemic, maybe 2018, 2019, it was still pretty easy to find a $5,000 NA Miata. They were around. They were pretty plentiful. You can open up Craigslist. You might have to you know, do what I do, which is kind of search up and down the West Coast or pick a few states and, and look. But now it's a lot harder to find a $5,000 Miata. Can you do it? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm going to say maybe. I'm pretty good at this stuff. I'm pretty quick. I stay on top of looking at cars and prices and things, but I would be hard-pressed to be able to walk home with a $5,000 Miata in reasonable condition. And I'm talking about a driver. I'm not talking about a perfect car, but a car that I could drive and, and go, oh yeah, you know, this is presentable. It's not needing immediate paint. It doesn't need an immediate top. It would just be a car that I could get in and drive. Uh, 5000 would be tough. I'd say more likely you're talking mm, seven. Eight, nine, maybe ten thousand. Ten thousand is going to get you a decent Miata. There's a lot of stuff out there at ten, eight to ten, but five is tough. Now, can it can it be done? Yes, it can be, but it's rare. So be prepared to work hard and be prepared for disappointment because you might miss a few cars and hate yourself. But don't hate yourself forever because you know there's a lot of life left. Enjoy your life. Um, the best cars are going to be more than ten. Sorry. They just are. And the, the, the we're talking cars like, you know, special edition, limited edition. Now, it doesn't mean you can't find an LE or a SE or an M edition or an R package car for less than 10. You certainly can. You might be able to find one for six or seven, but that's going to be rare. It's going to be somebody who's really not paying attention to the market and hasn't been looking at prices. And they just sort of go, oh, okay, I guess, uh, you know, I checked Kelly Blue Book and it says my 1995 Merlot Mica M edition is only worth mm, $3,800. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll advertise it for that. I'll be happy to get three. <laughs> Occasionally that happens, but those people wake up typically pretty quickly because they get like 10,000 phone calls or emails. I want your car. I want your car. Don't sell it to anybody else. You know, they get that kind of stuff and they're like, maybe I've underpriced it. Yeah, maybe, maybe a lot. I saw that a few years ago. There was a 94 M. This is just right around because it pre pandemic or just into the pandemic. Uh, identical cars, identical, except one had about 10,000 miles more. And I think one had 80 and one had 90,000 miles. The 80,000 mile car went for about 6,000. I think it was 5,800 or something. The other one, they were asking double, like 12,000. Well, guess what? <laughs> the $12,000 car was still for sale months later. I kept seeing the same car. I'm like, you're an idiot. You're not getting 12. Sorry. Uh, you know, they might have gotten eight or nine. I think the first one was way underpriced. The person should have asked more for it. They still could have, you know, probably got a couple grand more for it at the time. But the $12,000 one was overpriced at the time, again, during the pandemic. So interesting what people will do. So you can get good deals, but you have to look. Some of the best cars, some of the best curated cars are going to be, I mean, I would check out bringatrailer.com. I've sold a car on there myself. I've never purchased a car there, but they typically have better conditioned cars than you can find on the car lot or searching eBay or Craigslist. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to find great cars on Craigslist or eBay. You will. They're out there. But it's almost as if the cars that get posted up to bring a trailer 
are somebody's pride and joy. And the, the first place they went to sell it was bring a trailer. So there's going to be good cars there, but you're going to pay a higher price. Occasionally, there's cars that sell for less than what they should. And cars like the Miata, sometimes uh, bring a trailer sort of says, hey, you know, we want you to post this up as a no reserve car. Some people like to put a reserve price on it and say, well, I, I got to get at least 10000 If you have a no reserve car, every once in a while, the buyers just don't show up or they're asleep that day or something. So you could find a great car at a low price, but I would expect to pay more. I would expect to pay for the quality. So there you go. $5,000 car, probably not. Maybe, probably not. Seven to $10,000 Miata. Yeah, that's a nice sweet spot. Somewhere in there, you're probably going to find something that fits your needs and is a great driver, maybe better than that. Beyond that, 12 to 15. And then when you start getting up around 18 to 20, you're talking about cars that are very collectible. You probably won't be driving it much. You'd want to insure it through Haggerty or one of these specialty car insurance companies uh, that does just collector car insurance. And that way, if the car is wrecked, you get the full payout. Remember, your insurance company for your typical SUV or crossover vehicle or whatever you drive, it, they're not going to give you the value of what an early Miata is. Go look up Kelly Blue Book for a 1995 Miata. Just, you know, throw 100,000 miles at it in a five-speed manual and see what it shows. It's not going to show that much. Haggerty and other specialty car insurances will insure it for more, but they'll probably limit how many miles you can drive and that sort of thing. So keep that in mind. So there you have it. If you've ever considered getting an early Miata, the NA Miata, I want you to make a move on that right now. <laughs> or in the next, you know, three months, six months, the next year. Because at some point, the prices will take off. They will go crazy. And you'll be looking back going, God, I should have done that. Ugh. I guess the good news is, if you miss the NA Miatas, there's always the NBs and the NCs and the NDs. These cars will go through their typical depreciation move. They'll bottom out and then they'll start to go back up. That'll happen slowly over time. Okay, so there are other cars coming. They're in the pipeline, I guess. But if you want one of the early Miatas with the flip-up headlights, the NA generation, you got to get on that now. So there you have it. Hey, thanks for listening to part two of this Why You Should Put an Early Miata on Your Bucket List Now episode. I really hope I've inspired you to finally put an early Miata in your garage or parking space. These first-gen Miatas are truly fun cars to drive. They're not making more, and they're only going to go up in price. So I think now is the time you should get one. In the meantime, that's it for this episode. Be sure to join me next time to hear about more cool cars, trucks, and SUVs you might want to own. Until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride. <laughs>